Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. We'll go ahead and continue today in the book of James. If you've been reading ahead and you've realized that today is James chapter 3, controlling the tongue. Thank you for being here. I had one of our elders text me this morning at six o'clock and he asked me, he said, so are you in James chapter three today? If so, I believe I don't feel so well now. So I'll throw him under the bus. Tim McDonald was here in the nine o'clock service. um, So he was here this morning. but, But yeah, we're gonna be looking at this thought that James shares with the believers as our inability to control our tongue. So I wanna start by reading in James chapter three, verse one and two. And we're gonna start in James chapter three, verse one and two, and it says, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Verse two, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature. Some of your Bibles probably say perfect. He is mature or perfect, able also to control the whole body. Now look, what I'm about to tell you, what I'm gonna share with you, it doesn't give you the right starting next week to stare at me before I come up here to preach, okay? And what I mean by that is if you've ever watched me before I get ready to stand and open God's word to you, there's a lot of things going on. I I can't sit still. For all of you type A people that are like germaphobes, I have to apologize in advance. One of the things that I often do is I bite my fingernails. I know some of you are going, oh my gosh, that's so disgusting. I'm sorry. I've done it since I was probably like six weeks old, I think. Um, I've always done it. It's just how I deal with, with worry and stress and, and, ex, and anxiousness and excitement. It's how I deal with it. You've probably watched me um, go from sitting down to standing up, going, reaching and grabbing a pen and writing things down. And I oftentimes have to talk to my wife and I'm just all over the place. And what I want you to understand is all of that is because many different reasons. And one reason is because, yes, I'm always excited to stand and share with you what I feel God has placed on my heart for you. But then there's also that element of just being anxious and ready to get started. Anxious and and, and just ready to go. But one of the biggest reasons that you will see me always be very unsettled before I stand and open God's word is because of what we just read. Because I know that what God has called me to do, that that I'm gonna be held to a, a higher level of accountability, a higher level of responsibility. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart 
then when we open the word of God, this is something that I don't take lightly. This is something I lose sleep over. This is something I spend a lot of time in to make sure that I don't ever speak something from this word that isn't here. And so for any person in the room that ever walks into a calling of teaching, whether it's preaching, whatever it may be, according to what James says, I want you to understand that you're taking on a whole nother level of responsibility as a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And that's a very, very weighty thought. And so before you make fun of me for chewing my fingernails and standing up and down and, 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 and being chaotic before the service, just understand, say, that poor guy's under some stress. He's, he's worried. And I want you to know that, that when you walk into that, that when you pursue the calling that God has on your life, that yes, there is another level of accountability and responsibility. But the reason for all of those emotions that I feel before I stand here is because I know that the way of communication is by my mouth and according to what James chapter three says that that involves my tongue and what you're gonna hear today is that our tongues, our, all of us, our tongue tends to be a loose cannon. Our tongues tend to be a loose cannon. And all of us, do you know who all leaves out? Nobody. What James has just said is that at some point in your life, at some point in my life, we have all gotten in trouble because of our mouth. We've all gotten in trouble because of things that we have said. And so that's exactly what James alludes to in, in verse two. He's saying that we all have struggles. Maybe your struggle is, is lust. Maybe your struggle is jealousy. Maybe your struggle is addiction. Maybe your struggle is worry or pride. While every one of us brought some sort of struggle into this room today, they may all look completely different but the one thing that every human being in this room has in common today is an inability to control our mouth. All of us. That leaves no one out. We all have trouble doing exactly what we just read. And James says that this is something we all, all, all of us stumble in this way. Every person stumbles in this way. And just as we read a moment ago, and he said, and if you don't, you're perfect. And if you can control your tongue, then you can control the rest of your body. And so therefore, if you can control your tongue, you are probably without sin because you can do it all. But as we all well know, there's been none perfect other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So James expounds on this idea in verses seven and eight. We are gonna be jumping back and forth in chapter three, but I want you to listen at verse seven and eight of chapter three. He says, every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. Verse eight, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil 
full of deadly poison. When we think about that, I know firsthand that you and I both have seen human beings be able to tame an 18,000 pound elephant. You've seen a human being be able to crack a whip and cause this 18,000 pound animal to kneel, to stand up, to roll over, to sit, do all of the tricks. Several years back, I rode an elephant in Cambodia and I was blown away that by two little bitty leather straps that we had complete control of what that animal did. Complete control. If you've ever been to the circus, you've seen the guys with the whip. They will crack the whips. They will make all kinds of noises to see the most fierce lion become this cuddly little teddy bear that rolls around, that plays with the person who is commanding it. And so while those are, are absolutely mind-blowing, the one that blows my mind the most is probably the smallest of one, and he mentions it. Is a reptile. If you know anything about me, the only good snake's a dead one. And I don't even like them then. But you've all seen, they call it this, what is it called? I wrote it down somewhere, this cobra flute. Y'all know what I'm talking about? There's this cobra in a box, and this idiot of a man stands there with this little thing going, and all of a sudden, this cobra comes up, and he does whatever with his hand, and that cobra will do whatever that human, the only thing that cobra needs done has been shot in the face when he comes up out of that box. But you see that humankind has tamed every animal on the face of the planet. And I want you to notice that I mentioned that the weight of this elephant is 18,000 pounds. Does anybody have a clue what the human average of the weight of your tongue is? Three to five ounces. We can tame an 18,000 pound animal but we have an inability to tame a four-ounce tongue. James says you can't do it. This is something that we all have trouble with. And so today we're gonna look at several things in regards to the tongue, in regards to our mouth. And there's three things that we're gonna look at. I want you to write all three of these down. We're gonna discover today that the tongue is powerful, the tongue is dangerous, and the tongue is revealing. The tongue is powerful, the tongue is dangerous, and the tongue is revealing. In verse three and four, James begins to help us understand a little bit more of what he's talking about, the power of the tongue. Verse three, now if we put in the bits into the mouth of a horse so that they obey us, we direct their whole body. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very large or a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And so what James is painting here is a picture to help us understand the power in this four-ounce tool that is in our mouths. This is an example of how small tools have a tremendous influence. 
In this case, this is a case of the little leading the big. One pastor went so far to say this, that your tongue shapes your world. He went on to say that your words determine where you go. You know, also, if you know anything about me, one of the most favorite things that I love to do was coach. And I can remember specifically as a basketball coach, there would be stuff that we worked on all week long and it would be in the middle of the game and usually in a heated part of the game and whomever it was would turn the ball over, they would take an ill-advised shot, they would let somebody go right by them and score a layup and I remember the anger that I felt. We've worked on this all week and I would begin to lash out at that individual with everything they had. I screamed at bloody murder. I got in their face. I would a lot of times take them out of the game and continue in the little chewing right there on the sideline. And I can remember immediately watching that teenager's body language completely transform. So all of a sudden, as I'm unloading as the mistake that they have made, you begin to see the shoulders slump over. You begin to see the head bow down and you begin to see this just overwhelming thought. They don't have to say a word, but what their body is telling me is that I'm worthless. He doesn't believe in me. I'm a failure. And so what I learned very quickly as a coach, that just as quick is I would absolutely chew this child out. I begin to, as quick as possible, find something positive that they did. And if they breathed the right way, if they even clapped at the right time when we scored a bucket, I praised them like they had just hit the last second shot. And immediately, the positive body language was restored. And so what I begin to learn through that as a coach is the point that I'm wanting to make is what comes out of our mouth can change the trajectory of someone's life. What comes out of our mouth can change the trajectory of someone's life. And we can never underestimate the power of the tongue. But then let's take it a step further. And I want us to look at the danger of the tongue. Look at verse five and six. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And a tongue is a fire the tongue is a world of unrighteousness and is placed among our members. I'm gonna read the rest of that verse in just a little while. But when I looked at verse five and six, you're gonna hear how in touch I still am with my youth pastor days. Because as I begin to hear this idea of this spark starting a forest fire, I was very excited because I shared this example with a lot of our staff just to see if we were kind of on the same wavelength. How many of you remember or have heard of Smokey the Bear? Praise God. I thought it was like an old thing. It must be still, yeah, he's still alive and kicking well. And so as I'm studying on Tuesday, this Smokey the Bear keeps coming to my mind. And I know that's very elementary. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, this guy is our pastor and he thinks about Smokey the Bear. 
But we all know that Smokey Bear was the mascot that was birthed for the campaign to stop wildfires, to stop fires from happening as a result of our campfires and things, our carelessness that we're doing in the woods. But what I did not know is how long Smokey the Bear has been around. Does anybody have a clue? Anybody have a clue? Staff, you cannot raise your hand. What do you got? You got a date for me? Huh? 40 years. Good gosh, no. I don't even know if bears existed in 1919. Jeez Louise. Anyway, somebody just looked it up on your phone. Put your phones up. I know what y'all are doing. Y'all, y'all a bunch of cheating teenagers. Actually, it's wrong, so whatever your source is, you just need to delete that one. It was actually discovered, he was birthed or put on the scene the spring after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. So I think it goes all the way back to 1941, 42, 43, somewhere in that, so you were maybe a year or so off. But the reason that Smokey the Bear came on the scene is because after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, a Japanese uh, submarine emerged on the southern coast of California. And as they came to the surface on the coast of California, they began to fire shots into an oil field in southern California, right outside of Santa Barbara. And so obviously, because of the shells that were landing in the oil field, the fires began to start. And this was located very close to Los Padres National Forest. And so now all of a sudden, we've already got the Americans who are fearful because the war has entered the mainland. But then secondly, we noticed that they became very fearful because of how close it was hitting to home with overtaking the National Forest, a place that families love to go, a place that families love to camp, a place that families love to spend time. And so immediately... The United States of America began, began to be very concerned about the protection of our forest. And this became a national concern. But I want you to listen to the thought that helped bring to life the one that we know as Smokey the Bear. I want you to listen to the thought behind it, and I want you to hear it through the context of James chapter 3. Listen to where the thought comes from. If people could be more careful, perhaps some fires would be prevented. I think he knew James. If people could be more careful, perhaps some fires would be prevented. And then they adopted a slogan. And this was in regards to the Japanese enemy that our carelessness is their secret weapon. Let that one sink in for just a minute. Do you realize that oftentimes our carelessness is the enemy's secret weapon? That a child of God's carelessness is the very fuel that causes fires to begin. I think we would all say that our world would look a little bit different if we could be more careful and perhaps so many fires wouldn't be started. What I want you to understand is this, and this is one of those messages today, I almost, I almost pulled up a stool and just talked to you 
rather than just preach to you because this is something I think for every, I don't think, I know every individual in the room struggles with this because it's what the word of God says, that this is something we all have a hard time with. And so I want you to know firsthand, I connect, I relate with exactly what James is warning us of. But what I want us to understand is that do you realize that you're one sentence away or one word away from destruction? From causing absolute pandemonium and chaos? I use this example, and I'm not gonna give an example of a sentence that I could say, but do you realize there is a list of things that I could say from this stage that if I vocalized them in just a minute, our elders would have me ran off. I could say one sentence, I could say one word, and our elders would not allow me to be the pastor of this church. That's the power and the danger that this little four ounce muscle in our mouth have. One scholar referenced it and said it's the one muscle that's put behind a cage, and that's for a reason. That's for a reason because there's so much danger in our tongue. And now for a lighthearted example, and maybe I'm just allowing you into the hall household. How many of you husband and wives, do you realize that you're one word or one sentence away from ruining a date night? Somebody said, yep, last night. <laughs> and in most cases, what I begin to discover is that it's me. It. <laughs> yeah, y'all all laugh. <laughs> she has no ability to control her tongue. <laughs> Woman. Put it behind the cage. <laughs> Lock it up. Y'all just want to give the invitation now? I really don't even know where I was at. Oh, but yeah, yeah. But y'all probably all done this. You've, you've had this date planned. You've had this night put on the calendar for a month for a week, whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden, chaos breaks out as you're trying to get out of the house. Myself, most cases, a lot of times her. We pop off and we just say something dumb. And now all of a sudden, we get in the car, we both slam the door, and we look straight ahead. We continue on with our date. We go to the restaurant. We sit across from each other. But how dare we make eye contact? Because we got to go on this date, right? But all of that was caused because of one word or one sentence. Because that's the danger of the tongue. The danger of the tongue has the ability to change everything. One more example, and this one's a little bit more serious is when Charles Spurgeon began in his preaching career, they obviously would continue to, to grow out of facilities. And so he moved into a new auditorium that was seated about 10,000 people. And so as I'm sure, I believe it was the first time they met in that auditorium, 
From what I understand, it was standing room only. Charles Spurgeon was in the middle of his message and then right in the middle of the room, one man stands up and he screams the word, fire! You can imagine what happened. Pandemonium broke out. 10,000 people immediately tried to exit the building. Seven people were trampled and killed in that moment. The power of one word, the danger of one word. That's how weighty what comes out of our mouth is. And what I want you to understand, I know all of those examples are extreme if you would, but we're all one sentence away from destroying someone's self-esteem. You're one sentence away from ruining a marriage. You're one sentence away from losing a friendship. You're one, one sentence away from losing trust. Listen to this one. You're one sentence away from dividing a church. One sentence away from dividing the family of God. You're one sentence away from turning someone to Jesus or turning someone from Jesus. That's the power and the danger of the tongue. So we have to understand how powerful it is. We have to understand how dangerous it is. But then the last point that I wanna mention is how revealing it is. Look at verse six. We read part of it a moment ago, but we're gonna read the whole verse again. It says, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body and it sets the course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. What James is talking about is when he talks about it's one member, he's meaning that it is one muscle in our body that has the ability to stain our entire being. That the power, the danger of this four ounce muscle has the ability to stain every bit of us. One pastor said that this tongue is the easiest way to sin. That the tongue is the easiest way to sin. I love how Jesus unpacks this a little bit clearer for us. You would think like him and James knew each other or something because their teachings are very similar. But what, J what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, he says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles the person. It's not what goes in us, but it what comes out of us. Because you see, what comes out of us reveals the darkest places of our life. And when we looked at James chapter three, verse six, you saw that what James says is that this very muscle is set on fire by hell. Now, I want you to know this, that the context of hell that is talking about here is, is not what you and I would call hell. It's not the heaven and hell. The hell in this context is referring to the Valley of Hinnon, which was right outside of Jerusalem. 
And you see, what would happen in the Valley of Hinnon is they would, they would sacrifice little babies. They would sacrifice adults. And they would take the bodies there and they would dump them in this Valley of Hinnon along with dead animals, along with trash, and where they would set them on fire and burn them. So you can imagine this Valley of Hinnon was full of oppression. It was full of darkness. It was full of bitterness. It was full of murder and malice. And it was filled but it never stopped smoldering. It was always either actively in flames or the stench or the smoke was always coming from the valley of Hinnon. And James is saying that valley of darkness is the very thing that sets our tongue on fire. It reveals what is in our heart. It reveals what is deep down within our soul. And that dark place in all of us has the potential to never stop smoldering, to never stop burning. And so James wants us to be careful. He pleads with us to be careful because what comes from our mouth, speaking in our flesh, always comes from a place of darkness a place of bitterness, a place of past hurt, and a place of unforgiveness. Jeremiah writes and said that our hearts are deceitful above all things. Some version says that it's deceitful and wicked above all things. And don't you love it when people just tell you, just speak from the heart. Don't you dare speak from the heart. Because what a Scottish proverb is, is this. When the human heart is full, the tongue will speak. When the human heart is full, the tongue will speak. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves today is that, yeah, I get it. The tongue is powerful. The tongue is dangerous. But also the tongue is revealing. So what do we do to fix this? How do we fix controlling our tongue? I would love for us to give examples of maybe the self-help plans that we've all used. Don't act like you ain't ever done it. Y'all trying to act all spiritual, like your mouths are all holy. According to James, it ain't. But you've all tried probably that jar that you put a quarter in or a dollar in that every time you say a bad word or every time you speak something negative or every time you talk about somebody, you have to put something in the jar, Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about or you don't? Okay, praise God you do. I thought y'all were more spiritual than I really, anyhow. I wanna tell you that self-help plans don't work. We can try them all day long. I remember one of my closest friends, and if I said his name, many of you would know him. But I can remember at probably 15 when he gave his life to Christ, this young man 
had the most vulgar, perverted, filthy mouth of any one human I had ever heard on planet earth. And I can remember when he got saved, when he gave his life to Christ, he knew now that this is the first thing that we gotta work on. And so we created these self-help plans. So we put some rubber bands on his wrist. And so every time he would say a bad word, every time he would say something perverted, every time he would talk about someone else, we would walk up to him and pop that rubber band. And there was so many times I loved it. It became such a habit. He would walk out of class a lot of days and he'd just go like this. Because he knew he had failed. He knew he had messed up. And so what we have to understand is these self-help plans are not how we fix it. The only way to fix it is we have to ask ourselves one question. If the human heart, when it's full, if it speaks, the question we've got to ask ourselves is what is our heart full of? What is your heart full of? Because we've already heard that when it's full, it speaks. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, what am I full of? What is my heart full of? And so as we ask ourselves that question, look at verse 10. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. See, what James is saying here is how dare we? How dare we praise God with our lips in here? But then as soon as we get out of here, we tear down someone else. How dare we praise God with this mouth and then we curse his creation? How dare we praise God with our mouth, with our hands, with our body language. But then with that very same mouth, we tear someone down that may be sitting in this room with you right now. Have you many times have you ever been asked the question, you kiss your mama with that same mouth? That's what James is talking about. Because what you have to realize is that when we praise God with our lips and we talk about his creation, you realize who you're talking about, right? You're talking about a brother or sister in Christ who was created what? In his own image. As we talk about them, as we tear them down, you know what we're ultimately saying? God, you messed up on that one. So then he goes on to say in verses 10 or 11 and 12, does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. You're always gonna speak out of what you're filled with. You're always gonna speak out of what you're filled with. You can try self-help plans all day long, but according to what James says, you can't do it. 
you can't do it. As I talked about one of my best friends a moment ago, I remember being blown away. Because what I began to watch in his life is that while we couldn't clean his mouth up by popping rubber bands on his wrist, by making him pay us money, it never worked. But what I began to notice is that his mouth began to change the closer he walked with Jesus. His mouth began to transform the closer he walked with Jesus. And so the way you stop tearing people down, but now build them up, the way you speak truth instead of a lie, the way you speak life instead of death, the way you speak victory instead of defeat, you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus and you submit to the conviction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in you. And can I tell you a litmus test, something that you can use oftentimes, that if you have to think about, should I say this? The answer is probably what? Keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. And so as we see this morning, the tongue is powerful, it's dangerous, and it's revealing. And you know, if what comes out of our mouth reveals how close we're walking with Jesus, on the same token, does what come out of your mouth explain how far you are from Jesus? And so, you know, if we're real honest in this place as a family this morning, every single one of us struggle with this. All of us. And maybe you can think in your life just this past week of you've said things that you shouldn't have said. You've sowed dissension instead of unity. You've spoken death instead of life. Be thankful that we serve a forgiving God. But maybe it's about someone that's in this room today. And maybe what you need to do this morning before we go any further is you need to go and apologize to the person, the one created in the image of God that you deconstructed, that you maliciously talked about. Because again, our carelessness can be the enemy's biggest weapon. But maybe this morning you ought to simply fall on your face and just say, God, I need help. And wife, this is not the time where you kick your husband out in the aisle and say, he's talking to you. Because if you just did that, you have a problem controlling your tongue. Okay? Look, no one's left out. All of us struggle with 
this. But maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I want you to listen to me very carefully here. Maybe you think there's no way God can love me because of what comes out of my mouth. Pastor, you've never heard me talk the way that I talk. So I'm not ready to stop doing that. I don't know how to do that. And so I know, I know in my mind that in order for me to be saved, then I've got to quit cussing. I've got to quit talking vulgar. I've got to quit tearing down people. Can I tell you, you don't have to stop anything. You don't have to stop doing all that to come to the Lord. But I would venture to say when you come to him, with a humble heart of repentance and you begin to grow close to him and learn of his heart, everything about you begins to change, including your mouth. And so don't feel like you've gotta be good enough today. I remember when my grandfather got saved. I was in the hospital with him the day he prayed to receive Christ. And I'll never forget the first words out of his mouth after he asked the Lord to save him. He opened his eyes and he looked at us as a family. And he goes, I guess I got to straighten up now. And knowing what I know now, I wish I'd have gone, no, Daddy Paul, you don't have to. God loves you in spite of all of that. But you walk with him. You walk with him and you will begin to walk straight. That's the power of the Holy Spirit living in us that can't be explained. And so this morning, I honestly, I don't know how you close out a moment like this. I don't know how you respond, but I can tell you today, if you wanna profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you today to repent and believe. Turn from your ways and turn after him. But maybe as a child of God today, you can just say, God, I need help. My mouth has ruined my marriage. My mouth has ruined my relationship with my kids. My, my mouth has ruined my workplace. My mouth has ruined a bunch of stuff. And so God, I need your help. God, I'm sorry for tearing down your children. So God, just help me. And to be honest with you, if we're all real, real honest about that, there probably shouldn't be enough room in the altar for everybody. We've all done it. God, I thank you today for hard truth. God, I thank you that your word cuts sharper than any two-edged sword. And so God, if there's unforgiveness in the room that needs to be extended today, God, I pray that people would be obedient. God, if there's people in the room that just say, I can't control this thing, God, I need your help. Or God, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, God, I pray today that you would invite them into a relationship with you. So God, have your way in this room, in Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.